I want to talk to you about suicide. <laughs> That's a crazy subject, man. <clears throat> um, I would be afraid to ask how many people in this room have had their lives touched by suicide in the family. I wouldn't want you to do that because it would surprise you how many have. But First um, uh, Samuel chapter 12, this is a series... This is a series on, on life questions that needs God's answers. First Samuel chapter 12. First Samuel chapter 12. I think a lot of people don't come to church and don't listen to the Bible because they think that they don't have answers and they've seen nothing but timidity among Christians where we don't want to discuss the hard questions. 1 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 7, just the first part of the verse is this. Now therefore, stand still. Samuel is trying to reason with the people. And he says, now therefore stand still that I may reason with you before the Lord of all the righteous acts of the Lord which he did to you and to your fathers. But stand still, let me reason with you. Now life, if you, if you have lived very long, and one of the funny things about this uh, politician the picture, Nita, I was telling Nita, the picture on his card was about half his age when he came to the door. <laughs> and I said, how old are you? He says, I'm making a point not to talk about my age. <laughs> but if you've been around for a while, life will throw some twists, some curves. I mean, not just potholes, but over the cliff situations at you. And it drives us to question things. It drives us to, to ask the hardest questions of all, which are why? Why do things happen? Drives us to ask, what's the right thing to do here? What's wrong with such and such? Each generation has its questions. The questions that, that uh, teenagers and, and people like Dean and Kevin and maybe even Barry, I don't know if he asks questions anymore. He's pretty well got almost all the questions answered by now. But anyway, uh, that, that generation, the questions that they're asking, I never thought of asking. Each generation has questions that need to be answered. The Bible believer searches the scriptures to find the answers. We don't look to Almighty Google. We look at Almighty God. Now, there are no questions that cannot be answered by the Bible. That doesn't mean that you may know all the answers. But I believe that every question in life, the principle to the answer to that question is found in that book. God didn't just waste his time writing about lives and recording the struggles for us to think, well, there's only a few dozen answers. No, there's every possible situation. As a matter of fact, Jesus was tempted in all points such as we are. You see, there's nothing that you're going through that he doesn't understand. And there's no problems that, that, that you and I face and that the world faces that he hasn't already given us the answer for, or else he's going to have to add to the Bible. No, the Bible's the perfect book. Now, God asks his people to take the time to let him reason with them. We read for Samuel. Let's go to Isaiah. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18. Again, hear the words. Isaiah 1, 18. Come now and let us. There's our word again. What is it? Let us reason together. I'm not going to yell at you. I'm not going to. God says I'm not going to tell you what, what to think or whatever. I'm going to reason with you. I'm going to teach you. 
saith the Lord, though your sins, and this is the best truth, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Go to 41, chapter 41 and verse 21, still in Isaiah 41, verse 21. <clears throat> Isaiah 41, verse 21. This is a great chapter, and in 21, God's pretty fed up with Israel not talking, not, not getting engaged. Israel's already made up its own mind, and so God says this, Produce your cause, saith the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons saith the king of Jacob. He says, bring on your questions. Tell me why you do what you do. Tell me what your struggles are. Bring it on. I'll answer it. I'll show you how to handle it. One more, Acts 24. Acts chapter 24 and verse 25. Here, if you look there in verse 24, Paul, <clears throat> he's in prison. <clears throat> he gets a chance to stand before a, a governor named Felix. Instead of him arguing his case for freedom, he argues the case for Christ. Look at verse 24. And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which, also, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul. And he heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix what? Ooh, amen. Felix trembled, and he answered, uh, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee, and we'll talk again. <clears throat> you know, throughout the Bible, God's trying to talk to us, tries to reason with us, and that's a good thing. Uh, as, as Dean said, we were, we're compelled and called by God to study, to, make, to show ourselves approved unto God. We're supposed to study the Bible. God actually gave us pastors and teachers. Ephesians chapter 4 says God gave you pastors and teachers, evangelists, to perfect you, to help you so that you can do the work of the ministry. Not just me and Andrew and Dan, but every person in the body. <clears throat> but best of all, God gave us the comforter. John chapter 16, Jesus says, When I go away, I will not leave you comfortless. When the Spirit of truth has come... He will guide you into all truth. So God means for us to study and learn. Now, this series of studies, we're going to look at several modern issues that are plaguing our culture. Now, they've always been in the background. <clears throat> There's always been these things to different degrees, but now I think it's like overwhelming. It's absolutely overwhelming. I mean, look at, look at what we're going to talk about tonight and next week, suicide, the issue of abortion. In, in the 1800s, they, they asked a question. Somebody went before the United States Supreme Court and asked the question about whether it was right or wrong to, to actually cause the death of a, an unborn child. And uh, the thing was, was debated before the court whether it was a, uh, a right for somebody on the basis that that was not yet born. And the justices... In a, in a saying, not actually in a judgment, but in, in a summary, said it's a moot question because it's not possible to do it outside of harming the, the mother. So on the basis that you would harm the mother, that would be bad. But if you could harm the, child, the, the infant, the unborn, but then again, that's not possible. You see, 
People have asked the questions, is it okay to get rid of a child that's still in the womb, even in the 1800s? And the, the Supreme Court said, it's not possible. Well, now it is. Demon possession. LGBTQRSTXYZ. That was a joke. They now call them pan-gender. And AIDS, what's the future of the church? Hey, folks, you're expecting a revival? You're expecting people to get saved all across Europe? I'd like to see it. I know what the future of the church is. And it don't look bright. Euthanasia. How do you deal with somebody who says, let them die? Let so-and-so end their life. How do, you, how do you answer somebody who's looking to end their life? Capital punishment. I know they banned capital punishment here in, in, in Ireland, just like in almost all of Europe. They think it's a brutal, it is a cruel and unusual punishment. But what saith the Scripture? And what is the attitude? I believe, not that I want to go and kill anybody, not that I want to carry out capital punishment, but you've got to understand, when you're reading the Bible, don't think that, oh, that's all old stuff. No, it's biblical stuff. Gambling. Oh, certainly, Pastor, you're not going to talk about gambling. I'd like to. I don't know how many of these we're going to deal with. I just think sometimes Christians are saying, you know, Pastor, if, if I've won that $14 million, I would tithe. You stinking liar. We wouldn't even see you again. You'd move away. I know you. Don't you dare tell me, well, if I won $14 million, oh, I'd help you build a building. Do it now when you've got 10000 not when you've got uh, $10 million, man. Poverty. What do we do with poverty? You know, do we... Uh, uh, it's kind of funny what people think about poverty and that back in the 1960s they had this idea that, that uh, we, could, we could take a war on poverty and we could get rid of poverty. Has it worked? As a matter of fact, there's a greater divide between the rich and the poor than ever. And yet Obama's been in power for eight years. You've had some of the wildest uh, social programs and all, they do, all that happens is the, richer get, the rich get richer and the poor get poor. There's no middle class anymore. Where did evil come from? Some cool stuff. Now, don't let any of that scare you, because nothing is scary when you got the truth. Nothing is scary when Jesus Christ, the hope of glory, is on your side. So, let's go into this first subject here on suicide, and let's pray. Father, please open our hearts to a lost world that not only is dying and going to hell, but is killing themselves and going to hell. How do we have an answer for that? Do we just walk away? Do we just ignore it? Do we just become grieved by it? Or do we have an answer? Do we pray? That young men get saved before they fall under the axe of depression and defeat. Now, there's too many people just walking off into eternity under their own hand. And we can make a difference. We need to win souls, but we need to save souls before they give up, before they've lost all hope. Break our hearts, God, for a generation that's killing itself, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Suicide is the act of deliberately killing oneself. Sounds so sterile, doesn't it? Sounds so clinical. Suicide never makes sense. There's a quote. Suicide is like a pain so blinding that it blocks out rational thought. This cruel affliction, thinking about suicide, 
comes close to and sometimes probably succeeds in rendering its victims insane. Anybody who's ever battled with depression and thoughts of suicide or has even tried to help someone who's contemplating thoughts of suicide know that it is not rational. It is not reasonable to conclude that it's time to lose your life. It's actual insanity. But for them, it is the only thing going on inside of their heads. Got to end it. Irish statistics are quite shocking. Now, they're not the worst. 507 people committed suicide in 2012. That's the latest statistics according to the statistics office. Cork City has the highest rate in all of Ireland. Men are five times more prone to commit suicide than women, and especially men under 30. Those are just a few of the statistics. Let me say about the Irish statistics. The Irish statistics don't really tell the whole story because in all of Europe, you know where the most suicides are held, are conducted, are carried out? Lithuania, Estonia, Hungary. The top five. There was Brother uh, uh, Kish here the other night. And there he was, and I didn't even know his country is killing themselves Three times as many as Irish as the Irish are. His people are just walking off into eternity at their own hands. The problem is not that someone considers suicide. That's not the problem. The fact, oh, you, you've thought about suicide? That's not the problem. The problem is that most people have no other alternative. That ought to scare you. What has happened is not that, not that the world is lost. It's that they have no idea that they can be saved. The problem is not that the world, that somebody is thinking about ending it all, it is that that's all they know. There are um, some questions about suicide that need some solid answers. I'm not even going to begin to answer them, just going to answer one or two tonight. Next week we'll answer more, but why do people seek to die? You'll be surprised how many people do. Secondly, what is God's view on suicide? Obviously it's not a good view. What are the effects of suicide? You know, you say, well, I'll finally be out of everybody's hair. No, you won't. You'll hurt more people than you can imagine. What are the effects of suicide? Do unsaved people, do only unsaved people kill themselves? Is, it, is suicide the ultimate sin? How do you defeat suicidal thoughts and desires? So, Let's start with just a couple of examples here. You know, there are seven examples of suicide in the Bible. You wouldn't believe it, but if the Bible is a perfect book, it would have examples of the problems that we experience today. First one is found in, the, in Judges chapter 9, a guy named Abimelech. Judges chapter 9. Joshua, Judges, chapter 9. <clears throat> Verse 54. Each one of these is a study in the failure of the human heart. Each one of these are a study, a, a, a lesson in the failure of the human heart. And with every one of them, there's at least six, if not ten, big things going on that you need to tick off and go, there it is again, there it is, there it is. Those are the characteristics of somebody who commits suicide. Look at Abimelech in Judge, Judges chapter 9, verse 54. If you look at verse 53, certain woman cast a piece of a millstone upon Abimelech's head and, and all to break his skull. But he wasn't dead. 
Then he called hastily unto the young man, his armor bearer, and said unto him, Draw thy sword and slay me, kill me, that men may uh, uh, say not of me, a woman slew him. And his young man thrust him through, and he died. You see, he was, he, he was killed by a woman. I mean, she just leaned out a window and went, bombs away. <laughs> On purpose, she tried to kill him, and she almost did. But in order to him to protect his image that he had not been killed by a woman, he has another man kill him. It's funny what we'll do to protect our image. It's crazy what we'll do so that we don't have to suffer the consequences of a situation that we got ourselves into. Secondly, nope, wrong right here. A guy named Samson, Judges chapter 16. Judges chapter 16 and verse 28. Does it feel like it's getting warmer in here again? Don't look at me, Kathy. <laughs> I mean, even I knew it was cool this evening here. Samson, chapter 16, verse 28. And Samson called unto the Lord and said, Boy, I'm, I'm speaking now. My voice must be very deep. Very keating. All right. What's that? Trying to get rid of the booze, booze, booze. Judges chapter 16, verse uh, 28. And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee. Now Samson's saved. I pray thee and strengthen me. I pray thee only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house stood and on which it was borne up, held up, of the one with his right hand and the other with his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. He bowed himself with all his might. And the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people that were therein. So the dead that he slew at his death were more than they that he slew in his life. Then his brethren and all the house of his father came up and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtal in the burying place of Manoah, his father, and he judged Israel 20 years. Samson, in his one final act of faith, decides to die. Self-sacrifice, to defeat those who had imprisoned him out of revenge. A lot of things, each characteristic is unusual, but they are exactly what goes on today. Third, guy named King Saul. We've been studying about him in 1 Samuel and now 2 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 31 and verse 1. 1 Samuel chapter 31 and verse 1. Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines. They're being chased, and they fell down slain in Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines followed hard upon Saul and upon his sons. And the Philistines, they slew Jonathan and Abinadab and Melchishua, Saul's sons. And the battle went sore against Saul, and the archers hit him. And he was sore wounded of the archers. Then said Saul unto his armor bearer, Draw thy sword and thrust me through therewith, that these uncircumcised come, uh, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was so afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword, and he fell on it. And that's, that takes real courage. <laughs> Down he goes. 
King Saul, to avoid the abuse that he would endure after he was captured, he commits suicide. But not only does King Saul commit suicide, his armor bearer does as well. Look at verse 5. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell likewise upon his sword and died with him. Here's another guy, Ahithophel, 2 Samuel chapter, chapter 17. 2 Samuel. Next book. 2 Samuel chapter 17, verse 23. Here's a man, he's a bitter, angry, defeated man whose counsel has been rejected, and he's now doomed to be executed for treason against the king. So look what he does here. In verse 23, And when the Hithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his ass, he arose, got him home to his house, to his city, put his household in order, and hanged himself and died. He was buried in the sepulcher of his father. Hithophel went off and killed himself. Another guy named Zimri, 1 Kings chapter 16. Say, why are you showing me these things? Because there are things in the Bible maybe you've never read or studied that would help you. If you understood, this is not God condoning it. This is not God saying, do it. God's just trying to show you why people do it. And I'll talk to you next week about the applications of some of these. But Zimri, 1 Kings chapter 16 and verse 18. <clears throat> it came to pass when Zimri saw that the city was taken, the city that he was in, that he went into the palace of the king's house and he burnt the king's house over him with fire and he died. Here's another wicked man, a murderous man, who tried to take over the kingdom of Israel. He reigned all of seven days. I mean, that's a great job. You get a job for seven days, and then you kill yourself. When everything turned south, and everything turned against him, and another king, another general was trying to take over, instead of just giving up and going out and turning over the keys to the palace, he burns the palace down so that Omri can't have it. But he kills himself in the process. But of all the people, there's one that's most famous in Judas Iscariot. Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. Verse 3. Then Judas. Matthew chapter 27, verse 3. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, he was a traitor, when he saw that he was condemned, that Jesus was condemned, he repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. Who did he repent to? He repented to the priests. Who could he have repented to? God. Hey, listen, don't waste your time trying to get right with the priest. He can't help you. And he said, saying, I have sinned and that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple, departed and went out and hanged himself. I mean, what a way to go. What happened with Judas? You know, one of the things that's characteristic with several of these is guilt. Things just not going right. You're reaping what you sow. You, you, you set something in, in, in motion and it turns south. Now, there, listen. Before you start to say, well, there was Judas. Yeah, Judas was a demon. Judas was not even saved. We're not dealing there with King Saul. He was saved. But these guys, these are, these are the low guys. Did you know throughout your Bible there are people 
some of the godliest people you'd ever know, and they wanted to die. Job's wife wanted to die. She said to Job, she said, Do, dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. Let's just end it all. Believe me, if there was anybody persuasive, she almost convinced him. But that wasn't the worst. Go to Job chapter 6 and listen to Job from his own mouth. Just before Psalms, Job chapter 6. Job chapter 6 and verse 8. Oh, that I might have my request and that God would grant me the thing that I long for, even that it would please God to destroy me. What does he want? God, just kill me, please. Get it over with. Job wanted to die. Elijah wanted to die. First Kings chapter 19, he says, been better, be better if I just died. Kill me now, God. Moses wanted to die. Go to Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers chapter 11, verse 15. Numbers chapter 11, verse 15. If you start back there in verse 14, I am not able to bear all this people alone. How do you think he felt? Overwhelmed. He's crushed under the weight of the problems of a million and a half people. I asked this, uh, this guy, and I don't know why, uh, but I looked at him. He had never been in government. This guy's been a counselor in McCroom, been a counselor in Blarney. He's been a counselor in Cork back about 10 years ago. And I looked at him and said, are you ready for, for, for the four courts? Are you ready for Dublin? And he just, yeah. And I said, I want to pray for you. I don't know why I said it. But I mean, if he goes to get in, that's going to be incredible pressure. Would you agree? I'm glad for somebody. He's a brand new guy. He says, fresh ideas, young. He looked pretty old to me. Young enthusiasm. I said, amen. But do you know, Joe, sorry, uh, Moses, when he was, was carrying the weight of a, of a million and a half people, you know what he said? Where did I leave it off there? Verse 15. Verse 14 first. I am not able to bear all these people alone because it is too heavy for me. And if thou deal thus with me, kill me, I pray thee, out of hand right now. If I have found favor in thy sight. If, if things are good between us, could you just kill me? And let me not see my wretchedness. He felt like such a failure. We learned last just a couple of months ago, Jonah wanted to die, didn't he? He had a death wish. He said, guys, this storm is because of me. Throw me overboard. Why do you want to be thrown overboard? It was not a spiritual thing to do. He was hoping to die. When he ended up in the whale's belly, what did he do for three days and three nights? He waited to die. So here's the truth. The urge to end one's life early comes to even the godliest of us. Let me show you something that will blow your mind. In the near future, during the tribulation, all men will desire to die, but they will not be able to. Go to Revelation chapter 9. Revelation chapter 9. <clears throat> 
Revelation chapter 9 and verse 6. You think it's bad now. You think the pressures of life are bad now. You know, when the devil takes over and the Antichrist runs this planet, when there's no Holy Spirit working and no, no work of God, no preaching except for two guys over in, in Jerusalem and uh, uh, all hell breaking loose all over the world, you know what people are going to want? To die. Chapter 9, verse 6 says, In those days shall men seek death shall not find it. They shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. I don't understand that. But that the point is, people will want to die. Whole nations will want to die, and they won't be able to. Talk about torture. And there are a lot of modern examples. I hate to bring up some of these, but I've got to make it real in your mind that this is not something that's a distant problem. You well remember Robin Williams just back in November hanged himself in his own home. A rock star named Kurt Corbain, age 27 years old, put a gun to his head and killed himself. A guy named Tony Scott, uh, he did all kinds of big name movies and stuff. I forget some of the names. I don't know what some of these things are. He jumped from a bridge in Los Angeles Harbor, killed himself. A very successful director. One of the stars of Spider-Man in a movie called Serendipity, Lucy Gordon. She was 23 years old. She couldn't handle the pressure, couldn't handle Hollywood, couldn't handle the constant nitpicking of everybody around her trying to get her to perform. You know what she did? She wrote two different notes of, of, uh, of uh, apology for, for how she had failed in her life. And then she went and she hung herself, stood on top of a chair and kicked the chair out and sat there and squirmed and squiggled until she couldn't breathe anymore and she died. Hanged herself. 23 years old. I read this week of hundreds of Walt Disney stars over the last 80 years. You think Walt Disney is over the rainbow and that's not over Walt Disney, I don't know. But anyway, Walt Disney's all wish upon a star and Walt Disney's all Mickey Mouse and Walt Disney's all wonderful, happy wishing and, 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 and children. Hundreds of the stars that have been in their films have committed suicide. Hundreds of them. Dozens, sorry, I say dozens, sorry, dozens. Dozens of Walt Disney stars, hundreds, and this is the other list. Rap music is one of the most dangerous businesses to be in. People who do rap music either get killed or kill themselves. It's not a business to be in. And there, in America, 38,000 people committed suicide. Are you ready for this? But in Europe, 60,000 committed suicide. Now, we don't like to talk about it. Statistics like that scare people. The examiner had an article explaining why they don't talk about uh, the numbers and, and they don't uh, really promote information about suicide because they're afraid of copycat suicides. They find out so-and-so went and, and they killed himself in some portion of a river and all of a sudden two more people go do it. Right there, same one. I understand that. I understand that. But the numbers are unbelievable. 60,000 in Europe? Why do some people seek to die? Well, I'll just breathe through some of these things. First of all, a ruined social world to them. 
Here's a 17-year-old girl. She thinks she's in love. She's got a boyfriend, and he drops her, and her life is ruined, and she goes and she kills herself. That happens. Overmuch guilt and sorrow. That's a biblical term. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Second Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10 says this. There are two kinds of sorrow. There's godly sorrow and the sorrow of the world. Godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Amen. Not to be repentant of how many of you regret getting saved. Let me see your hands. I figured. <laughs> you know, when you are sorry about your sin and you grieve over how you've offended a holy God and you're, you're afraid that His wrath is righteous and will send you to hell and you cry out to Him, have mercy, and your repentance and your sorrow brings forth salvation. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Godly sorrow brings salvation, but the sorrow of the world, what does it bring? It brings death, brings a lot of suicides. A lot of people just get overwhelmed with, I mean, guilt. The, the way that this modern age is, you have, you have uh, what are these guys, the groomers. You have people on the Internet that groom their audience, and, they, they, and it's been going on for 50 years before the Internet, even before that, where these pedophiles would groom their target and make them feel guilty when it wasn't their fault. And then, you know who committed suicide? It was the person who was abused, not the person who did the abusing. Overmuch guilt and sorrow is a major source of a lot of suicides today. People who, this is what you find in the letters that people write when they say that they're committing, they're committing suicide. They believe they're trapped. They have no other way out. Watch that word. They feel hopeless. Others hear voices telling them that it's the right thing to do. It's best for everyone. Everyone would be better off without me. They just hear that over and over and over inside their head. There are some who have been so hurt and nobody seems to care about them, they say, I'll hurt them all back. I'll commit suicide so I can finally make them feel what I feel. That's a reality. That's a bitterness that is lower than you can comprehend. And there are people who are just hopeless. There's no evidence in their life that life is ever going to get any better. They just figure it's going to get worse. All of these reasons are built upon lies that Satan has slowly and carefully planted in their hearts and in their thinking. In general, here's the truth. People do not commit suicide because they hurt, because they're in pain. Normally, people go to the hospital and you think, oh, so-and-so, they'd like to die because there's so much pain. Normally, people don't want to die, even in the hospital, when they're in much pain. So people commit suicide because they believe there is no reason to live. See the difference? Pain doesn't drive you to want to die. Hopelessness does. You see why God left us here now? Am I cracking open some doors? You see, the reason why people die is not because the hospitals don't know how to cure their diseases, not because doctors don't have answers for the pain, it's not because the government doesn't have answers for the money problems, it's not because people don't know how to befriend one another, it's because people have no hope. And if anybody should have hope, if anybody should be giving hope, it ought to be us. 
I mean, I'm listening to us sing on Sunday morning, Sunday night. I wish we could sing on Wednesday night. I can hear some joy in there. I hear some hope. Man, the world thinks we're crazy. But who's having the battle? Let me finish here. I'm just going to whet your appetite. Next week, I'm going to talk about our culture of suicide. Do you realize our culture is breeding a comfortableness with taking our lives? There are seven lies, lies that I've sort of summarized and things from my study that when you, look at, when you look at each person who commits suicide, what is it that they're believing? Well, then look at the biblical and the real truths about suicide. Then we'll look at life, struggles, and death. And you know what? A Christian looks at all three and says, glory to God. Amen. We don't look at one of them and go, that's good, that's bad, that's awful. No, no, no. For me to live is Christ and to die is? Amen. Amen. And then we'll talk about how to defeat suicidal thoughts and desires. But let me finish with this thing. The only answer to suicide, there's not 50 answers, not five, there's one. And that's another life. See, Jesus said, the thief cometh not for to, but for to kill, to destroy. What does it say? The thief cometh not for, for to deceive, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I am come that you might have life and that more abundantly. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The truth is, Christ in you, the hope of glory, can make all the difference in the world. What do people need? They need Jesus Christ. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. You want life? Get it from him. He that hath the Son hath life. You see, your life stinks. Can I be that honest? My life is wretched. It's a good word. I get a new life. That's one worth living. All right. If you've ever thought about suicide, I don't want to ask you, but I would guess most of you have either had somebody in your home or in your extended family struggle and maybe even go through it, or maybe you've even thought about it. The best thing to do is to talk to somebody. It's not wrong that the devil got you to thinking about it. Listen, was Jesus tempted? Yeah. You know what? I'll talk to you about this next week. You know what the devil did? He took Jesus and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. He didn't take him up there just so he had a good view. You know what he told him to do? Jump, 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 jump. <laughs> he tried to get Jesus to commit suicide. So, you start, man, I, I get these thoughts. You better remember where they came from. They're not from you. They're from another voice. They're from another power, and that other power has no authority over you. And there's something wonderful about getting the victory, and that doesn't come by keeping it a secret, hiding it. Let me tell you, it's, it's the best thing that you could ever do is talk about how you feel, especially when it comes to when you're scared of death or when you're scared of suicide or when you've got all these questions. That's why in a Bible-believing church we talk about it, because the devil doesn't like the truth. Amen? All right, now, I'll entertain a question or two if anybody's got one. If anybody's got a question. We haven't gone very far, but just about what we covered. It'll get a little deeper next week. Okay. All right.
I'm, are, you, are you uncomfortable with the subject? You all right? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Right. Um, I'll deal with it more next week because I will answer that very thoroughly. But let me give you a simple answer. Is murder something that that God condones and, and looks favorably on? Is murder something that okay? Are there any Christians or believers in the Bible that committed murder? Who? Yes, ma'am. And Moses, the great lawgiver. So you have to step away and think that, and not think that suicide is so different than all other sins. It is a sin that terminates God's plan for my life, just like murder is sin that terminates God's plan for another life. They both are wrong. But just as Grace covered the murder of David. Grace, because of salvation. Salvation is not based upon whether I stay away from murder. Salvation is based upon the perfection of Jesus Christ and my faith in that alone. So, in simple terms, the answer is God does not look favorably on any form of, of, of you know, murder, of whether it's of myself or whatever. But one thing that we have lost in our modern 21st century, we lost in the 20th century, and that is a belief that the devil is a killer. Now, the devil has no authority over your life. He cannot kill Dan. You're saved, right, Dan? Not your head, sir. Amen. He cannot kill him, but he can lie to him. And he, just like he lied to Adam and Eve, were Adam and Eve with God, walking with God, were they right with God? Yes. And then Satan came along and lied to him and say, you shall not surely die. And he brought death upon Adam and Eve, didn't he? And upon all people. So the point is this. He, he, can't get, he can't kill Dan, but he can get Dan to kill himself. That ought to scare you. That's why we pray for missionaries and pastors. Anybody who's in the spiritual battle on a big, in a big way, on the front lines, you pray for them because if there's one thing they're going to get hit with, it's spiritual attack. And be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So, Dan's not... Uh, um, no, <laughs> he's not under control. Yeah, he's married. He's okay. Um, uh, Dan is not immune. That was my word. He's not immune from demonic influence that could convince him I'm a failure. I'm a burden. I've, I've, I've blown it. I, the only way out is by taking my own life. And that's a lie of the devil. And if, see, the, he can't kill you. 
He has to get permission from God just to even tickle you, amen? So he can't kill you, but he can come along and he can lie to you and get you to hurt yourself. Does that make sense? So Christians can commit suicide. Under, we imagine that if you're saved, you're not going to be under stress and under um, problems. But let me tell you, some King Saul was so far backslid. He was saved, but he was so far backslid. He, there was no sense of God, no walk with God, and he, with no hope, committed suicide. And a lot of Christians, sorry, have gotten to the place where they're so backslid, the devil says, there's no hope. Now, that's a lie. Did you know if you're still breathing, there's still hope? Amen? All right, so stay tuned. I think you'll get some good uh, truths that'll help you because we're in a day where there are too many people who are walking around, they don't know we're saved, and they don't know that we have hope. And you could have just something to say. I don't know, like I said, when I looked at this man, I'll tell you his name if you wanted to know. When I looked at this man going from door to door, and his picture's half his age, and when he looked at me, he looked tired, and I know he's tired, but my heart just said, he doesn't know what he's getting into. I said, I'm going to pray for you. And he looked at me. Thank you. And that, was, that just struck me. He says, I wonder if, 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 if we could do more, if we could have such an impact on a world that has no hope at all. So I'm repeating myself. Father, thank you for the thoughts tonight. There is a, um, there's a Western civilized, pretty well-off world outside of these doors. They seem to have a lot of things going for them. Got a lot of good health care. Got uh, the dole, got income, cars, houses. We're doing pretty good in the Western world, Father, and yet... Deep in the heart of the human heart, there are people just wanting to die. And it's not right. Instead of us ignoring it and thinking, well, there's nothing to do, I pray that these next few weeks, Lord, we take it very seriously. We have an answer, and we have a very strong answer that's got to be shouted from the housetops. Choose life. Choose life please. Bless us as we go home. I thank you for these precious people. Make us a strong army in the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.